Okay, how's everybody doing? Um, glad you're all here today. Um, my name is Richard Threlkeld. I am a specialist solutions architect. Uh, means that basically I work in an org that specializes in different areas of building on AWS. And um, my team is actually, I work on the mobile team. And what that means is uh, basically I engage customers on building um, kind of new and cutting edge apps on AWS, both using native AWS services, as well as some new things and um, kind of non-standard patterns uh, that are seen in the industry. Uh, in fact, I heard somebody talking about React Native uh, in the minutes before the presentation, so we're gonna be talking a little bit about that today. Um, the one preference or uh, preface I'll make here is uh, this is a 400 level session. Um, and I know that means different things in everybody's book. Uh, this is truly a deep dive. So I'm making assumptions that some of the base business value and functionality of some of these services that I'm gonna talk about, uh, you either know about already or um, maybe you'll go and look them up a little bit if there's a gap missing on something. So the business value of Cognito or maybe ALB or maybe API Gateway and some basic functionality I'm not gonna cover um, I'm going to jump into the details. And with that being said, this is the agenda, right? So we're going to talk about some common concerns that you're trying to build uh, new apps with or new businesses. Uh, I, I kind of look at apps as businesses, which is really what they are. Um, overlapping patterns, emerging patterns in the industry. Uh, and we're going to tackle these in order from native apps to hybrid apps to mobile web. Um, because realistically, this is what the majority of consumers are using today. And you might already know some of these uh, names up here, right, uh, from Yelp to uh, Periscope and so forth. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of a kind of an example of, of what some of these things might look like. My goal today is to show you some deep dive patterns that are becoming very common and try to inspire you a little bit, um, especially when you're dealing with some advanced use cases. So what are some table stakes, first of all, a couple, couple of points here uh, when you're trying to build something new in the industry, right? So you're usually trying to get things like Authn and Auth-C, right? Uh, you want to get maybe fine-grained access control for users accessing different services or maybe different parts of services. Could be, you know, really fine-grained to like grouping of users into different buckets uh, for accessing different APIs or maybe, you know, controlling how people can read and write from table levels and databases. Um, concepts like asset downloads and videos and so forth and notifications at an advanced rate, right? Notifications are not just using this one specific service in one specific way. Um, there might be some other advanced stuff that you're reading about in the industry that you wanna kind of get your feet wet with, right? Like things like advanced API interaction, um, the days of just uh, kind of doing XHRs to a RESTful API, you know, that's still important in a lot of use cases, but there's, there's other ways to do this stuff nowadays. Um, this might be, you know, aspects like async communication, optimistic updates. Uh, this is really important for me. I live in New York City and I go into the subway all the time and I'm constantly, you know, losing connection of my mobile device. Um, state management, right? And I specifically use the word state because I, I assume a lot of you talk to mobile front end developers and this is kind of the language that they use when they're talking about data end to end from the client all the way to the back end, especially when you're talking about maybe networks that aren't well connected in different countries, right? Um, a lot of AWS discussions are focused on global reach and global scale, and we kind of take for, for granted that we're in New York or Las Vegas or somewhere else and we've got these awesome networks. And you kind of step out of that and that's not always true, right? Um, finally, analytics, right? And I'm gonna talk about some pa patterns with analytics, both for um, 
kind of what has been a, a well-documented pattern or patterns in the industry for doing mutations and sending data in batch and then sending data in real time and how you might apply that to a mobile application. Now when it comes to taking some of those table stakes and talking about architecture, right, you're usually concerned about scale and cost, elasticity and so forth, standard pillars of AWS platform. Um, but when you're building these apps, right, your, your back end could be, you know, as, as stable as possible, but maybe your users don't perceive it that way because you haven't thought about things like performance. You haven't thought about usability, right? And, and you'll notice that throughout this talk, I'm going to talk about some things related to performance, especially when it comes to apps, because today's day and age, a lot of us take for granted what we're carrying around in our pocket, right? Like, um, you've probably heard the statement, the thing, the phone in your pocket is more powerful than the shuttle that, that we launched to the moon or contains more computing power. And that's true, but it leads people to think that they've got, you know, the equivalent of like an EC2 instance or something in their pocket. And if you look at how mobile processor cores, you know, kind of use like big little patterns or single threaded applications and so forth, concepts like usability and network latency comes to like queuing delays over the network and end-to-end -end latency and so forth. When it comes to single-threaded JavaScript applications, they can basically bring your business down just because you haven't thought about how the, your client is going to interact with the back end, right? And now related to this, because we are talking about, um, you know, patterns across native to hybrid to web is really new joiners to your team, right? Why, why are we on the mobile team seeing some of this emerge nowadays? A big reason is because people want this type of you know native interaction, but they you know might not be able to hire you know a bunch of Android developers, which is going to take six months or longer to interview, and then do the same thing on the iOS side, and then maybe another platform and so forth. Right. So this is really bringing the emerging patterns of some of these frameworks you're probably seeing out there, um, and bringing them kind of full scale into how you want to grow your business nowadays. So let's talk about um, system architecture, what this might look like a little bit. And um, if you've attended some of the other mobile sessions the past few days, you might have heard about the concept of almost microservices starting to make their way into the mobile side. And diving deep a little bit on that, that, that is a bit true, right? So it, it still may be compiled to, quote unquote, a monolithic application. But the way that you interact on the back end can be tuned to a fine degree to really give you um, kind of a microservice between the client and the back end and then offload some of that computation at a higher level. So for one thing, um, you know, usually when we talk about Authn or Auth-C, we're, we're, we're trying to talk about table stakes with Cognito, right? Um, and, and this is really an important uh, fact because, uh, frankly, I spend a lot of time talking to customers about this because if they can handle secure access from all of these remote devices, or even just you know across multiple platforms, be they mobile web to, to native and so forth, it gets a lot of the business worries out of the way and they can really accelerate application development. Um, so this is usually done through things like token exchange, uh, session storage, Cognito sync across devices, and I'll talk about this a little bit more. Uh, this is the concept of essentially I log on to multiple devices and I can have key value pairs and data sets synced so that seamlessly I can get that kind of profile data refreshed across devices. Um, after that, we're usually entering in discussions with customers about let's let's kind of get either static content or streaming data and so forth uh, really quickly down to those users and just those users that have been authorized, right? Um, so when it comes to interaction on mobile devices or, you know, apps across the, the platform, um, it's usually a combination of CloudFront um, and uh, S3 for, you know, binary uploads, video and so forth. And I want to call this out a little bit more too because, um, you know, 
things like API Gateway, uh, the recent support that we've launched with that around uh, binary uploads are great for maybe small things. But when you're talking about really large pieces of content, um, you know, huge videos that you want to upload or download, the mobile SDKs are optimized to do file-based partitioning, and they'll also do parallel and sequential uploads depending on how you want to operate with them. Um, additionally, they will cache data locally to the SD card so that if people aren't there, um, they'll take all of that heavy lifting away from you and allow you to just focus on your app. So it's, it's important to really, if you're, if you're looking at some of these mobile apps, to really kind of take a step back and say, what is AWS doing on the mobile SDK side, and how can I leverage some of that? Um, from here, of course, you know, um, some of the things you guys are probably aware of, you, you have access to the whole platform, right? You can kick off Lambda functions. If you are building a B2B app, maybe it's an enterprise app, now you've got VPC support with Lambda, um, hook up to a private ELB or, you know, an ECS cluster, something like that. Um, you can do some routing additionally here, right? Um, maybe through API Gateway. Um, but, you know, all roads lead back to the backend AWS compute platform, be that Lambda again, um, maybe piping those functions off to, to DynamoDB. Um, also something like RDS here, uh, you, you know, it's important that we call this out to customers as well because a lot of people go to mobile apps and they think immediately, well, I need a NoSQL database for this because, you know, that's just kind of the common pattern on, on my client. But if you do have complex data sets, this is a very viable option that we run into with a lot of customers as well. Um, make these guys speak to each other as well. And then, you know, kind of uh, what you've seen earlier today with the release of Pinpoint, but also newer patterns outside of just the normal analytics and messaging is take that backend data and now here's where you give business value to your consumers, right? Take that data, send messages down to the clients. Finally, um, I am going to talk a little bit about mobile analytics and I'm going to talk about how you can do some advanced session ma management across native as well as web here. Now, I talked about getting kind of the auth stuff out of the way, right? And we have granular auth controls with Cognito. So you can do now, you know, fine-grained API access, um, enterprise SAML federation, these user pool triggers and so forth, um, as well as leverage uh, API gateway custom authorizers to kind of sort out this identity stuff. Um, one thing that's often very overlooked from our customers is these Cognito policy variables, right? So if I've got this unique identity down on these clients and I'm able to authenticate with their credentials, I might want to do something like create public and private buckets on S3. And anybody can maybe access the content in a public bucket, but maybe on that per user and per identity level, I might want to access some of these policy variables so that only those users can, get and can read and write to their data. You can also do this at a record level for DynamoDB. So not just a table level, but individual records, only those users can access their data. And this is really powerful when you use something like API Gateway Service Proxy because you can send Cognito credentials, which I'll show you in a second where you do that, um, from that client through the service proxy and then have IAM policy parse that when you're reading and writing to Dynamo tables. And some points to remember about this, right, is, is another um, key to this is when you're sending those identities back, if you're going to be creating data on the fly in DynamoDB, an um, another frequent recommendation we make to customers is, you know, they're always worried about how they're going to partition their Dynamo tables to avoid, you know, hotspots and so forth. Uh, we recommend using the Dynamo D or the Cognito identity as a primary key interest index because you're going to naturally get a well-distributed table uh, when you do something like this. Of course, you use these credentials in the AWS SDKs, and you'll automatically get signature before signing. Um, so all of your API requests can be signed to your endpoints. 
Um, but I'd also recommend looking at a couple of things when you get some time. Um, one thing that we don't, you know, talk about um, as much as maybe we should is the capability of using secure remote password protocol, um, which is optional to turn to turn off if you wanted to. Um, but it's on by default in user pools, which means that we don't ever actually send a password over the wire. We're just calculating with some prime number math on the client side, um, a password verifier, and that's what gets stored in the backend database. Um, additionally, you might want to leverage on some of these user pools this concept of developer-only attributes. So not only are attributes readable or, write or writable, um, but you can mark them as developer-only, which means that they don't get passed down to the client side in a JWT token. So that, again, reduces network traffic, but your back-end systems can still do checks against those user properties. So let's talk a little bit about native apps here. So um, first, one thing that people always ask is, um, you know, can I just send all my analytics to mobile analytics and access that real-time, or do I send all my analytics to Kinesis, and then now I need to reconstruct everything that you guys are doing on the mobile analytics side and far, as far as session management? Well, this is actually a problem that was solved way before mobile apps with this Lambda pattern that exists in the big data space, and I reference a white paper that we have on this. And it's the idea of having a speed layer and a batch layer, right? And this is really the most efficient pattern to maybe you have a, an application you're trying to build today that is gathering analytics data, but at the same time, you might want to do some like real-time ad tech to the client, right? And you should think about your architecture like this. So an analytics lifecycle, and um, this is, will bleed into kind of like a CQRS pattern, if you're familiar with that, is something like, you know, I'm going to submit events with just a few lines of code via mobile analytics, and I, I get all of this information, like stickiness factors, um, you know, retention rates, and so forth. I can click a button. That'll go to S3, and click one more button. It goes to Redshift. And then you've got access to the whole AWS ecosystem, right? You can do some processing with machine learning or perhaps Athena, as it was uh, announced before I made this deck, right? Um, you can pipe that information off into DynamoDB, RDS, and you know, front that with API Gateway. And we really recommend looking at this because of the low cost of the service. And additionally, um, not only is this a nice query and submit pattern here, uh, but to get this working is really low effort, and it's practically built into the SDK already. So you'd essentially create a you know, Cognito ID um, with a, your specific pool ID on here. You'd pass this as an object to a constructor in uh, uh, Mobile Analytics SDK, specifying the application ID. And from there, you're going to get a bunch of base information. And um, this happened to be like a playlist app that I had written. But if I want to create an event like track the artist selection and then kind of get the selection and, and submit it, not only is this really easy to send all sorts of custom events up to the AWS platform, but this, again, will persist to disk optimistic updates and so forth. This is, of course, submitting information and querying it. But what about mutations, right? So um, that data, maybe in a Dynamo table, I want to update the records, or, or maybe it's another uh, system of record based on you know, CRM or something else. Well, um, as I said, we usually start with you know, auth n, auth c to get credentials down to the client. And from there, um, one of the things that's often overlooked is the service proxy feature. And the reason I say this is because you can pass in for your execution role this specific uh, pattern. And this will send those Cognito clients down to that user so that, or back to that service so that you can use some of those filtering properties in IAM so that you can do like just writing for these records to a Dynamo table or an S3 bucket and even control down to that user if they have access to read or write to a Kinesis stream. So we see a lot of this essentially, proxying, posting data to a Kinesis stream, maybe a little bit of ETL with Lambda, updating in DynamoDB, 
and then kind of doing a get response this way. And again, focusing on native apps, since that's where we're starting, right? Um, if you leverage the built-in, here we go, um, API gateway generated SDKs, which you can, you know, build Objective-C apps, uh, or you could build um, Java apps and JavaScript apps. Well, then it's just simply, you know, kind of defining your, your objects here. Maybe this is a login uh, page that I wanted to send from uh, some legacy system. And I can generate the SDK and export this straight into my native platform or JavaScript-based platform. So as you can see here, I'm importing um, a couple of models that the API Gateway SDK automatically generated. And then I simply call them straight from my, from my uh, Objective-C code. Pretty straightforward. Now, the next question around notifications that tends to come up very often in customers is, okay, I want to leverage SNS with some of this data to do real-time push notifications or whenever something happens on my pre-computed backend, send them a message. But how do I automatically do this seamlessly so that I can get all the tokens inside the platform? So um, for that, uh, what we leverage is, you know, all the major providers like APNS, um, Microsoft Push Notification Services, um, GCM, and so forth. Uh, and if your app gets a token from that major provider, you can call SNS, if the marker will work here. Okay. Old school. You can call SNS um, to upload the token automatically with an action known as create platform endpoint. So um, essentially you would put this like in your app delegate or in your, your main startup file, and this will automatically put sp these specific tokens in the back end for you. This is one option that up until recently was kind of the only option, and from there we'd have a trust relationship to where you could send uh, messages down to the clients. Now, the only caveat with this to do these actions, right, is you're going to have to give those individual users rights to post their tokens to the SNS endpoint. So things like for doing put events, Cognito Sync, or this create platform endpoint, right, this was the standard way up to about six-ish months ago that we used to recommend. Now what we're seeing with the release of more features in API Gateway and Cognito user pools is a couple of alternative options to this. So for instance, if it's, you know, we want to upload these tokens and assign them and match them up to different users, when a user signs up for your service, we could attach one of these workflow triggers right after a sign up and capture that, you know, NS data or registration ID from uh, Google Cloud, um, Google Cloud messaging, and automatically have your Lambda function only have the rights to your backend. Or additionally, you know, you could use that if you weren't use, using Cognito triggers via uh, an API gateway register endpoint or something like this. And in, in this manner of fashion, you don't need to worry about, you know, capturing all your token IDs and so forth. You can do this in an automated state. Now, state management, and I wonder if this is working again. Nope, battery must be dead. Um, so state management. Now, I talked about Cognito on the back-end side, and um, a lot of people look at Cognito data sets, which are really great for, you know, creating kind of these key-value pairs that you can do synchronization across your different devices and execute callbacks based on these, right? So you can do on-success messages, on-failures, handle them appropriately. Um, we use notifications on the iOS side to do this automatically, and, and based on when these, how these synchronizations happen, you can kick off certain events on the, across your clients as well as on the back end. So say I've got this device here that I'm syncing a data set. I can either have either client-driven or administrator-driven a data set kick off and a sync happen and then automatically push and synchronize data across my devices. I could kick off Lambda triggers 
And I can also pipe this data to a Kinesis stream. But the issue here is, you know, not everybody's data is well formatted enough for it to be key value pairs. So the next iteration of development that we talk to customers about is, how do you do some of this if you're working on, you know, more, maybe a more complex data set like something in an RDS database or maybe a DynamoDB table? Well, so we have a couple of options there, and I'll go through them first. Um, the first is, you know, DynamoDB accessing these systems. Um, we access them again via Cognito role, uh, in which case we have nice ORM mappers for you um, if you don't want to use API Gateway so that you can uh, pretty much create uh, a class that's assigned to that specific table, specify what your primary keys would be, and then read and write as appropriate. On the relational side, especially if you're going to be building apps in the enterprise space, this comes up more and more often, um, essentially because you want to integrate legacy systems and innovate uh, so that you can bring those systems to the modern age accessed by mobile. Um, we see people putting essentially a, a RESTful view layer or something like GraphQL or JSON API in front of that. Um, they might use either one of the serverless um, frameworks to do some of this or potentially API gateway with or excuse me, um, an ELB or ALB with an auto-scaling group and kind of fronting that as their mechanism for their back-end clients to call, and then just using normal HTTP requests from there. But once you have kind of a platform like this, right, and you know that your data set is different, you can simulate some of the things that the, the Cognito features have for simple key value pairs. So again, an administrator is going to make a call to the back-end. Um, they're going to update or delete a, a row or a record. Um, and from there, you can use uh, DynamoDB streams to kick off a Lambda trigger, to call out to SNS to do a push notification, or to a Kinesis stream and so forth. So essentially simula simulating similar type of functions here. Now, those, all of these things you can see is leading to a lot of data flying back and forth, right? And I'll talk about this again, right? So um, I mentioned earlier, right, things like battery, CPU, network connections, queuing delays, propagation delays on different types of networks are essentially important. And it's not only from a network perspective, but, you know, these batteries on these phones are ex extremely small, and these CPUs, while they're multi-cored, aren't going to get the same performance as, you know, maybe a big honking machine with this massive battery blowing air over it and so forth. So the next thing for advanced scenarios, especially if you're trying to do live stream data or interactive um, messaging back and forth to the devices is you want to persist connections and eliminate all these multiple round trips to do kind of HTTP handshakes over and over again by looking at some of these other technologies like, you know, um, maybe we're appropriate using a RESTful API to do XHRs with long polling, but maybe looking at some newer things too, like WebSockets or HTTP2 or, you know, WebSockets over MQTT. And this will allow you to be more efficient to how you're sending data back and forth to the client so that you can, you know, reuse connections, aggregate messages across that medium. So how would we tell the client, you know, what medium to use? Like, let's say it's going to be a real-time chat application across multiple people. Um, you know, that client's asleep. You might need to wake it up and then oh, via a push message and then tell it to communicate over another channel. So the common mechanism to do something like this is to create your quote-unquote cloud message. Um, this is an example of using app, Apple push notification services and to do this in the background. But you could also set a content available to, to a zero on this and specifying like a connection type here. You know, maybe that says use a WebSocket and, you know, you could put another message in here to, you know, communicate over a specific channel. And so what do I mean by communicating over a specific channel? 
Well, um, let's say I wanted this real-time connection after waking up. You know, I'm sending a chat message to you know one or multiple of my friends. Um, I send a push notification, and then they're going to connect to um, a, a WebSocket endpoint, right? And I've, we've got a couple of options for this in the AWS platform right now. Um, so the first is, you know, maybe you want to run the backend yourself non-serverless, right? You you want to run, you know, Node or Python or something on an ECS cluster, um, and you know, for compliance reasons, maybe that has to be in a VPC. Well, you could leverage the newer application load balancing released a few months ago and have that connection communicate to that WebSocket um, channel in real time. This is pretty easy to, to set up. Another option, though, which I'm going to demo here in a few minutes, is to use a serverless platform like AWS IoT. You might be thinking, wait a second, this is a mobile session. Well, there are actually, even though this is a service named AWS IoT, there are actually a lot of mobile use cases such as this and we have, again, SDKs integrated into the mobile platform that are built for using AWS IoT on your mobile platforms. So, for instance, I could actually use WebSocket connection here to my IoT region, and this will actually do WebSockets over MQTT. So you get added advantage of QoS support here. Um, and then from the client side, of course, if this were maybe a live stream, I could subscribe to specific channels. Maybe it's a news publishing site or something like that. From here, you know, I've got access to the entire AWS platform, right, um, through the rules engine and so forth, route this to Kinesis streams, Lambda functions, do whatever I want. Okay, so let's jump into the, the, the second of the three sections, right, so hybrid apps. Um, the first is a lot of people talk about is Cordova, right, getting Cordova apps working on the AWS platform. Um, so these are essentially web views, um, quite popular, and um, this is, this is uh, I've found in the past nine months, um, been kind of getting on the rise even more. So a lot of people looked at Cordova apps um, heavily uh, a few years ago. Then maybe there was a little bit of a drop-off, but we've, we've seen more and more people asking about how to integrate this into the AWS platform. And yesterday, uh, one of the sessions I helped actually create with some, some guys was, uh, you might have seen the serverless auth session. Um, and there was a, uh, a sample app released on AWS Labs for doing serverless auth with Cognito and a bunch of other systems on mobile. Um, that's actually full end-to-end -end using Cognito user pools, uh, API gateway, and so forth with a Cordova app. Um, we're also going to be releasing some new blog posts on walking you through essentially this process, but um, it's fairly straightforward, right? So um, this is going to be JavaScript-based that your, your application developers are writing language in, and you're going to download the AWS SDK, the minified version. Hopefully, again, we're worried about network connections here. Um, but, uh, well, this is going to be bundled here, so it's not as much of an issue. But... Um, you're going to reference this in your Cordova app and configure a few things like your security access for um, the Amazon domain. And um, from there, you're essentially calling AWS SDK functions from a main index.js or whatever other uh, JavaScript libraries you load in, in your calling function, right? So here's an example um, of, you know, starting this application and grabbing Cognito credentials here um, and piping them out just, just for, for logging purposes. But the other extremely common question uh, that comes up is, well, can I do things like push notifications with SNS? Um, this is nothing specific uh, to AWS code. Um, but yes, push notifications fully supported via those plugins that you saw in the architecture on the last page with the Cordova platform. Um, and then you can send messages to these devices uh, with SNS, just like you would on a native app. Um, and this is extremely powerful uh, if you're bringing maybe traditional web developers that you want them to get their feet wet or write full-fledged full, uh, full native applications using one of the popular hybrid frameworks. 
The other one that's um, coming up uh, over the past six to nine months quite a bit too is this thing known as React Native, right? So this is uh, built upon an evolution of uh, Facebook's um, React.js SDK uh, that is um, extended via the native platform so that you can get things like 60 frames per second when you're trying to render content and so forth. Um, now, we do have a React Native SDK that's in developer preview that you can use. Um, but that's only a handful of services, and as you saw the past couple of days, right, we're constantly adding new services, like maybe you want to throw Poly or something like that into your React Native SDK. Um, just because it's not supported on our SDK that we provide out of the box doesn't mean you can't add these in. And in fact, the process of this is pretty straightforward. Um, so uh, on, the, uh, on the iOS side, this is as simple as bringing in a bridging module and then downloading the, those uh, mobile SDKs that I talked about, like here's an example of pulling in the AWS Core, Cognito, and Mobile Analytics. Uh, from here, you're essentially going to initialize the SDKs, um, the AWS SDKs. We, we commonly, for uh, certain, um, certain AWS SDK functions, like getting your Cognito ID or initiating a mobile analytics uh, object in memory, we create singleton patterns for this if you're, if you're deep diving, um, writing some native apps. Um, and, you know, you are going to want to make functions for this that you can then your JavaScript developers, because this is a hybrid app, can access. So the way they do that is essentially they will export this as a, um, like I, I usually call mine an AWS manager, but a native object to JavaScript. And they'll initialize this object. Again, you can do push notifications in React Native, worth calling out as well. Works exactly the same, send them messages from SMS. And from here, you're going to be able to um, add and invoke methods by exporting these methods uh, that you want to individually call from your JS side. Um, they happen to be macros on the iOS side in Objective-C. They're attributes that you set in Java on the Android side. And you're accessing the full-fledged uh, set of AWS services from React Native. So what does this look like? Let me switch over here. Give me one second. So this is exactly what I just explained, and I will do my best here to blow up the screen as much as I can. Uh, so it's exactly what I just said. I'm bringing over some bridging headers and so forth. I am creating a singleton in memory here. You can actually see a shared instance of this and in initiating my Cognito object. Um, to not exaggerate how easy this is to do in short time, granted I'm a little bit more familiar with the AWS services, but I wrote this on the plane on Sunday uh, coming here, and this is Thursday. I was actually shocked that uh, most of it worked when I finally connected to a network. Um, but I'm essentially uh, you know, connecting to AWS IoT. There's a, a data manager object. And from there, as I said, I can export some of the modules, right? So um, for here is how I'm, you know, going to call this method to get my Cognito identity ID. I've already got it cached in local storage because the initial call to Cognito happened. Um, but for things like um, leveraging the IoT disconnect, publish, uh, subscribe, and, um, and connect, right, I can connect to the AWS IoT service. And if I scroll down here, you'll actually see here's the WebSocket upgrade request as a standard WebSocket over MQTT. And down here, um, I'm connected here. That's what actually uh, a two means from AWS IoT. 
and I can subscribe to a specific channel, right? Now, this is very fast performance in React Native, um, and uh, I can publish messages from that channel, and this is really fast when I do that because uh, the MQTT service is good enough to know that it's a local publish from that client. But, you know, we're in Las Vegas. Could we send messages from uh, here to Virginia and back uh, over a, um, you know, MQTT channel? And that was pretty real-time, as you just saw there. Um, maybe I want to do some other things, like play the James Hamilton video from the other night, right? Um, and this happened to be cached optimistically. Um, but I, I'm kind of using WebSockets as a real-time control mechanism here, right? And you could think of this as something like a, like a live stream that people might do. Um, for instance, um, I wrote something very sim silly which uh, kind of publishes uh, some of the new releases that, that have come out um, from uh, AWS over the past couple of days. And, and maybe this is kind of you know, a social media feed or like a group conversation in chat, right? Um, but there's a, real, there's a lot of the powerful um, aspects of the platform that you can essentially offload on the back end and then develop really game-changing businesses down to the client sides of your apps. So let me stop that really quick and pop back over. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about mobile web. Um, mobile web... Uh, is still, um, you know, extremely prevalent and it will continue to be, right? Like, as great as these native apps are, you're starting to see a lot of, um, you know, change in the industry, um, especially around, you know, you know uh, um, geographies that, that maybe, you know, don't have prevalent access to uh, devices that can run all these apps um, constantly off the App Store and so forth, and things like progressive web apps and so forth that are, that are really trying to, starting to change the face here. Um, we have great support for mobile web as well. Um, and, not, and not just mobile web, but just standard desktop web on some of these things, right? And, and even some of those WebSocket things, right? Um, I was going to show an example of that, but actually we have a lot of demos out there for kind of communicating over WebSockets from, from standard web pages. But um, the biggest question is where, where, what we usually find is where to get started on some of this stuff, right? Because, okay, I'll pull in some of these things on a web page, but the difference between native and mobile web is you have another, another factor is the... Um, initial content that you want to download and render, right? You might want to do things, you know, we usually think of things like Webpack or lazy loading and deferring uh, loading of your routes and things like that. But on the AWS side, we give you some tools as well to optimize some of these processes. And um, the point I'm trying to make is the whole thing matters, not some of the view layer optimizations that you can do, or not only some of the view layer optimizations you can do on application performance, but also your end-to-end -to -end tool set and connections to your back-end infrastructure. So um, one thing that many people um, uh, don't know um, that, that, that we, we offer here is from, from uh, the, the native, as I was saying, the native and hybrid side, right, you're usually bundling the SDKs like you just saw. But we also have a JavaScript builder, right? So um, when I was talking about, and I, I showed an example of the, the whole AWS SDK in that Cordova app a few minutes ago, but for your web-based applications, you can go to this JS Builder, and you can pick and choose what you're going to use. And then you can download a minified or a development version that you can use in your apps to really optimize the footprint that's going to be downloaded to those specific clients. And especially then if you combine this with some lazy loading or deferred loading on routes, right, you can have really powerful performance and rendering when it comes to the client side. Um, 
as you can use it for you could also you know minify uh, even the hybrid apps and minify this in Cordova and use this in all of your tooling. Now, what are some you know if I if I think about this to start with, what are some common mobile web requirements that usually people start acting about, right? So uh, they they usually start talking about reactive design on, on um, you know set things like viewport or accessibility across um, the different mediums and what your different devices look like. Um, but this also comes down to things like non-blocking HTTP actions, right? Auto-refreshing, state management, routing to the different parts of your application, actions like placing and deleting orders, um, support for the latest syntax and so forth, right? Like ES6. Um, then we start to talk to customers about things like, you know, the frameworks they're using. Um, I gave a React Native example, but obviously React.js, Angular, Vue, um, some of the other uh, server-side stuff like um, Ember, Ember Fastboot, things like that. Uh, very common questions that we get from customers um, to do things like state updates, component-based uh, mounting, and so forth. Um, I call out on this page uh, Axios because um, a lot of our customers that use uh, API Gateway end up using this for promise-based uh, rendering because it's automatically built into, again, I showed the JavaScript um, example before, or excuse me, that... Uh, API gateway example before of generating the SDKs. Um, if you are to generate a JavaScript SDK inside of API gateway, you'll automatically get Axios built into it for when you're doing XHRs um, and polling or, or other techniques against API gateway endpoints. So we kind of do do a little bit already in the built-in uh, JavaScript generated uh, SDKs from API gateway for you to do some of these techniques, right? And, um, you know, not for preference reasons or anything, but I picked a couple of examples. Um, so say you had an Angular example here to where you wanted to do, like, gets or posts against um, these specific API gateway endpoints to, like, uh, this was an access control uh, website that I had created that you added groups to and granted access to different users, right? Um, behind the scenes, this will use that, that, that same technology if you integrate with the API gateway uh, uh, SD generated SDKs. Um, now, before getting into an end-to-end -end example, um, you know, of course, things that we, we talk to customers about are, are standard industry tools like, you know, code splitting on your, on, um, on your bundles uh, when you're going to be using uh, web servers, deferred loading, bundling, uh, React Router here for different API sets. Um, this is especially a very nice technique when you're using, with, when you're leveraging the new API gateway proxy features, um, which I'm going to demo here for you in a second, um, because you can kind of control your routing from a client side and then worry about your access through uh, proxy catch-all methods and greedy paths on the back end rather than constantly trying to match up your client side API development with hard-coded static routes on the back end. So, um, you know, before jumping into this, this use case, um, you know, again, on this point, what are some other things that you can do besides just this basic toolbox? Well, your infrastructure here is going to matter too as far as app performance, right? So, Code rendering as needed, right? So homepage libs, you know, for things like, you know, cognito access and so forth, you might want to load them first and not load some of the subsequent calls for things like DynamoDB and so forth if you know users haven't even authenticated yet. Um, async loading for user interactions and pagination, you can actually control that from API gateway responses that are sent down to the clients. Also things like lazy loading those extra branches, right? Um, maybe they're not needed and maybe you want to split those up as appropriate. So um, 
when it comes to serving some of this in a, in a serverless standpoint, right? So um, this is this might be a technique that you're that you're familiar with, right? So uh, you maybe create an S3 bucket and you enable a static website on those bucket properties. Um, you're going to uh, add some access policy to this bucket and then you know ensure that cores is enabled for API gateway. Um, especially for you know low risk websites or documentation websites and even some of the newer interactive stuff. Uh, this is a great way to set up a really low-cost mobile application that works, of course, you know, since it's mobile web, across the different platforms without really doing a lot of heavy investment on the client side. Now, if you are going to do something like this, um, the one thing that's often overlooked from a lot of our customers is if you set up um, a mobile-optimized website, a, uh, a static S3 bucket, this is HTTP only. So if you are going to set up something like this, we recommend two things, right? The first is, you know, use uh, CloudFront. It's optional for CDN hosting, but this is how you're going to bring HTTPS into your app. Do some web page lo loading here for, um, you know, script references. Again, do it intelligently to only uh, render the initial routes that are needed uh, for your application to load. And then, of course, do your authentication via Cognito. At this point, Right? You can leverage the, those IAM controls on the back end of API Gateway to you know, do straight references, uh, either XHRs or other things, um, to API Gateway, and then execute things like you know, an express-based uh, wrapper on the back end that's running inside of Lambda. So another, another reason for kind of the boom in some of the mobile web stuff on AWS recently is uh, we released a, a wrapper, a library, that um, it, not a lot of people know about yet. Um, but this is an express-based wrapper on the back end so that you can define those apps on the client side and then do native express development and then just have a wrapper function in API Gateway that allows you to execute some of these things. So what does this look like? Now getting back to the infrastructure piece. Actually, this guy back up. Switch over here. Back over here. So we have this barbecue example app. This is, as you can see, running off of uh, my bucket on US East One um, that we built for a couple of uh, customer engagements um, as kind of a getting started guide, which uh, it was actually created in Dallas, or excuse me, Austin, because everybody eats barbecue in Austin, right? Um, and the, the reason that why we like to show this example is because this is a great example of using, um, the code uses React, React Router to get to some of these API paths. You can think of things like placing orders, menu, loading restaurants, and so forth. But you notice that was actually pretty fast. And it's because I'm essentially through clicking a button using deferred loading of my content from API Gateway. So that was actually an API Gateway call that um, loaded a cold Lambda function. And a lot of people, you know, have concerns about cold versus hot Lambda functions and how they're working. But if, if you think about what I just did there, and I didn't do it automatically for, term, for points of demonstration, is I loaded all my critical paths first so that I could render the page to my user before I tried to make external blocking calls to a backend API gateway resource. And then it was, you know, pretty nice and seamless how I loaded the content. Then I pulled in some of my other views to mount some of the information. And from here, I can use things like React Router and so forth to click on one of those. And again, lazy loading here that I can get for that restaurant, everything that's on its menu. And then do things like placing orders, right? So I placed an order. 
And here, I'm going to pull from local storage my order ID, but then asynchronously in the background so that my user knows that something happened, it pulled the rest of the order information. And doing something like this is pretty easy in API Gateway. Um, as I said, uh, on the back end, we just create one of these proxy methods, right? And we can route to an API and to a Lambda function that's acting as an express wrapper. So this express wrapper is extremely simple. It's basically you need an express app that I can just call as a require statement. And then like you just saw real time, my web page is able to interact with this and do a pretty comprehensive application. Um, so from a code standpoint, again, this was, um, this was our Lambda wrapper from a JS standpoint. But here, now my app developers, because they know languages on both the mobile web as well as the client-side platform, they can do things like look at the barbecue restaurants, control you know, access uh, resources for cores. Um, they can then control their routing on the backend API and control when they're going to store data in DynamoDB and not. Um, and then from a client-side standpoint, right, um, I can render my data as appropriate and do fetching calls as needed, right? So here again, I was, as, I, as I talked about, I'm going to do an optimistic get, and you just saw it real-time happen so that it's a pretty seamless application from a client-side standpoint. Okay. Now, a couple more topics in the last five minutes before we finish up is um, I, talk, I showed some stuff with web analytics in the beginning, right? Or rather, mobile analytics in the beginning. And many times we get people ask the question, okay, that's great on the native side, but um, you know, how do we... A, initiate some of this programmatically on the website, especially for this concept of like rich versus reach, because you're going to get a higher amount of reach in your platform when it comes to uh, web-based um, users, as opposed to a richer experience when you've got users engaged with your app from a longer standpoint. Well, um, it's very similar with uh, one specific difference, right? So um, just to walk you through what this looks like, uh, on a web analytics, through mobile analytics standpoint, you're going to, you know, configure, again, with Cognito credentials, your, your application. And then you're going to set some stuff, right? Like, you know, the app title and the version and so forth. But one important thing there is I'm going to set the session length. And that's because we don't have access to the, the full native platform to, to see when people are doing things like, you know, a text message is popping up or something like this, right? Or they minimize their web page. Um, so we set the session length, and then we do things like, you know, gathering cookie information like the gender or the size session item and submitting the events. But actually, we can control some of this, right? So, uh, you know, on the native side, as I said, right, we, our SDK is a benefit of the mobile analytics platform. And again, that Lambda pattern of batch loading versus real time is um, we're going to fill a background queue and automatically figure out if somebody's in their app or if, you know, a text message has popped up and their session's ended or they minimize it or the screen locks. And the web, you don't, you know, by default, always have that control. So we're going to set a default session length and just guess what it's going to be. This will, by default, uh, persist through browsers and tabs exiting. But in the retail space, and there's a little bit of a debate whether you know, there's apples versus oranges on native versus web. Um, in the retail space, though, uh, we do get a lot of customers that want to marry up their session data across native and across web. And this is uh, possible to do as an advanced pattern as well on mobile analytics. So 
Um, you can you can look at this online. You can leverage the visibility change event of the modern browsers, which most mobile phones are using, and you can control the session length dynamically in your mobile in your web-based apps. So if you know that you want those sessions to uh, basically stop whenever somebody you know uh, puts their screen off, or if they you know maybe minimize their app or something like this, rather than doing a time-based session, uh, you can fully extend this and control this in the the mobile analytics SDK. Uh, the one thing you can't do in this, which you can do in the native SDK, is the native analytics SDK, you can set send information over Wi-Fi or not. So basically, I can control whether or not it'll only happen on Wi-Fi on native. And we don't have that type of control on the website. Now, the final thing I want to talk about on the last uh, couple slides is a growing pattern that we see in the mobile space across many industries. Right, so this is basically the lifting or the Uberizing of different businesses. And we're seeing this in retail spaces, in insurance spaces, in financials and so forth, of where not only do you want consumers and customers engaging with your app from a mobile standpoint, but you want to kind of offshore some of the activities in a way kind of like Mechanical Turk to a bunch of subscribers who can then do some work on behalf of your business, right? So this is kind of... Mobile users making requests. On the other side, maybe fulfillment of that request by other mobile uh, users. And to do this, you need things like order tracking, notifications, and SLA management. So from an architecture standpoint, this is actually you know, pretty easy to do, uh, especially from a serverless standpoint. And what we do here is, first of all, you know, our standard things that we've just talked about in this presentation using API Gateway and mobile analytics and separating kind of our real-time and batch streams. But let's say I make a, a request, right? Um, I need a car. Here I kick off a Lambda function, and it's very basic to do this, right? I can then send a customized SNS message. As you saw one of those kind of cloud packets and messages before, we can make this customized to how it's going to display on the end user device. However, in this process, we can inject a record to DynamoDB and also inject a record into SQS. And why SQS? Basically because we want to track SLAs in this, right? Because if something takes, let's say, I don't get my pizza in 30 minutes, I want to do something on this. So to do this, what we would do is that first lambda up there, it's going to use timestamp, cognito ID, and whether or not the request has been acknowledged. And it's going to calculate your SLA. So mine is 30 minutes. From here, we're going to leverage a powerful feature of SQS, which is a delay queue, right? So this is the length of time before a message will actually show up in an SQS queue. And the maximum amount of time you can do is 15 minutes. So at that point, you would just use scheduled task functionality of Lambda, or maybe if you have another polling process in the back end, and do some basic business logic, right? Um, is there time remaining or not? If, if there is, resubmit to SQS because you've got still less than 30 minutes. If not, you know, do your business logic escalation from there. So the final thing I'll leave you with on this is, um, you know, really, I, I hope you've, you've seen from this, there's a lot of powerful techniques that you can kind of do. You know, not only can you do, you know, some basic apps, but you can kind of break the mold and do some next-level app development that kind of crosses over different industries. And you can really think big here rather than letting the technology of the traditional platforms limit you. And I'd, I'd really recommend that you, you focus on those applications and what you can do, and also your teams. And then we can build the technology around that to meet those needs. So with that, thank you. <laughs>